and uh, what God is doing in Japan. She's part of our international ministry team, translates uh, from uh, English to Japanese. And so I really uh, hope you're able to come and join with us on Thursday night, seven o'clock, right here in the sanctuary. And then it will be live streamed at 7.30. Uh, also want to give a shout out to the moms and uh, wish you a blessed and happy Mother's Day. I, I'm sorry I'm saying it like that, but I know that sometimes uh, Mother's Day can be hard, especially for those who don't have moms anymore that are not with us, or maybe have a strained relationship with your mom. And so Mother's Day is not necessarily a happy day. I know too that Mother's Day can be hard for would-be mothers who are unable to have children. And Mother's Day can always sort of be a painful day. But uh, we do want to celebrate uh, Mother's Day. We want to thank you. Uh, moms, I mean, if you think about it, we couldn't do it without you, literally, by the way. So let's uh, give a, just an applause to the moms. We love you so much, and we thank you so much. All right, let's get into the Word. Beginning in verse 8, I'll ask you that are here, if you're able to stand, you can follow along as I read. If not, where you're seated is fine. The Apostle Paul is writing to Philemon, and by the Holy Spirit says, verse 8, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. We talked about that last week. That I appeal to you, verse 10, for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, verse 12, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Let's pray, if you would please join with me. Loving Heavenly Father, we have before us today this portion here in Your Word that is here for a reason. There's something here that You would like to show us and speak to us. And we want to know what that is. So Lord, we're going to give You 
our undivided attention, and by the Holy Spirit, as you keep and hold our attention, so our minds don't wander. We're going to have ears to hear what it is that you would desire to speak into our lives, in and through your Word. So Lord, will you speak as only you can, and are always so faithful to, in that still small voice? We're listening, Lord. Speak. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So I want to talk with you today about how it is that we're to approach the solving of serious situations that present themselves in our lives. You know how it is when you don't have any problems, right, to solve. Well, in the text that's before us today, the Apostle Paul is dealing with a most serious matter. And this most serious matter, as we were introduced to last week, is this runaway slave that in that day was punishable actually by death to do something like that. And not only did this slave, Onesimus, run away from his master Philemon, but he actually stole from his master Philemon. And he runs some 1,500 miles away to Rome thinking he can get away. And we don't know the way, but somehow he ends up in contact with, of all people, the Apostle Paul. Some have suggested that it's very possible that he got caught in the act of stealing again, and they arrested him and put him in prison, not just any prison, just so happened coincidence to be the same exact prison that Paul was in. And not only the same exact prison that Paul was in, but perhaps the same cell. And so here comes this new cellmate. What's your name? Onesimus. Oh yeah. What's yours, Paul? Where are you, what are you in for, Onesimus? Ah, stealing. What are you in for, Paul? Preaching. Where are you from? Oh, I'm, I'm from uh, Ephesus. Oh, you are? Do you know a guy by the name of Philemon? Yes, he was my master. I ran away from him. I stole from him. That's why I'm here. And then Paul leads him to Christ. Are we surprised? But now we've got a serious problem because he's got to make it right with Philemon, his master. And from what we just read in our text today, it sounds like Paul has really loved on this man and ministered to this man and become friends with this man. And so Paul, by the Holy Spirit, shows us 
as an example to us, the right way to right a wrong in order to bring about a resolution and a reconciliation in a way that honors God. So what follows are what I'll call the three ingredients in the recipe of success. I'm sorry I'm saying it like that, but for lack of a better way of saying it, it's the recipe of success to solve those serious situations in our Christian lives. And the first one is in verses 8 through 10, and it's that of meekness, meekness. This is interesting because Paul knows that he has the God-given authority to order Philemon to reconcile with Onesimus, but he doesn't do it. He appeals instead on the basis of love and says as much. And Philemon knows it too, by the way. And this is again true to form for the Apostle Paul, where yes, I have the authority, Philemon, but listen, we have a situation here, and I want you to make the decision of your own volition, as we're about to see. And so I'm going to basically submit myself to you. I'm going to take the higher road, the lower seat. And in so doing, this is an example, a magnificent example of meekness. I would suggest that first and foremost, our posture, when it comes to serious situations in our lives, must be that of meekness. And never think for a moment that meekness is synonymous with weakness. Nothing could be further from the truth. Meekness is the relinquishing of strength, power, authority. As one aptly said it, meekness is strength under control. Think this through with me. Jesus, the personification of meekness. This is God incarnate, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, yet meek. He could have in an instant exercised his authority in his divinity, but did not. That's what Paul is doing here. It's strength under control. And this is exactly what Paul is demonstrating concerning Philemon. There's something here that I want to point out before we go any further, and it has to do with the difference between meekness and humility. They're similar, but they're not synonymous. Meekness is chiefly demonstrated 
in our attitude toward others, whereas humility is demonstrated in our attitude toward self. Think of it like this. Humility is not thinking of oneself more highly than they ought. That's humility as it relates to our attitude towards ourselves. Humility is not being full of self. That's humility. Meekness is the outward demonstration of humility in our attitude toward others. And that is the difference between meekness and humility. And suffice it to say, they both go hand in hand, especially when it comes to our attitude and our approach toward others to resolve an issue and a problem and a situation. This dovetails into our second one in verses 11 through 13, and it's that of selflessness. I know this is a firm grasp of the obvious, but selflessness is the antithesis of selfishness. I have a degree in selfishness. I could write a book on selfishness, and so could you too. So don't look at me all smug and pious. But when it comes to selflessness, we got a problem. This is kind of foreign to me. It goes against the very fabric and the very nature, the sin nature within me. Because when it comes to me, well, it's all about me. As one has cleverly quipped, it's the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. And it shows up when we talk with people, right? You know what we like to talk about, right? Ourselves. And then when we're done talking about ourselves, we might say something just out of courtesy, like, you know, that's enough of me talking about myself. Why don't, why don't you talk about me? <laughs> Selfishness is insidious. Selflessness dying to self, denying self. Here Paul makes it very clear that he would much rather keep Onesimus with him as a help to him, which is interesting because he even says that Actually, I'd like to keep him because he can help me as you did when you were with me. Which means at one point Philemon was there with Paul, for Paul, a help to Paul. And so now here's Onesimus, who apparently has replaced Philemon in Paul's life, a tremendous blessing, a huge help. He's very useful. Some of your translations render it profitable. You know, it's kind of ironic because that's what his name means. Onesimus means useful, profitable. And so this is 
sort of a sanctified play on words when he writes to Philemon. And he says, Philemon, he's, I know he wasn't useful, profitable to you when he was with you, but he is to me now, and you too. But here's Paul, again, true to form. He takes the higher road, the lower seat, and makes the decision to selflessly send Onesimus back to him, knowing that he will be useful and a blessing to Philemon. It's deeming someone else as being more important than you. He's a blessing to me, Philemon, but you know what? I'm elevating your needs above my own. Oh, what a novel idea. Sounds Christ-like to me, does it to you? thinking about other people as being more important than you. Now, when Paul says that, I, I think to myself, okay, let's take this slow, not so fast, more important than me. Let's just start with as important as me. I could try to get there. That would be an easier do, but more important than me. I don't know about that. That's kind of a tall order. I don't know if that's an easy do, but that's what Paul's doing. I mean, if you really think about it, Philemon is not the one behind bars incarcerated in prison. Paul is. I mean, if, if we were to sort of evaluate this and examine this and decide this, who needs him more? Certainly Paul because he's in chains. Now, by the way, let me just mention this. This is important, because when you think about prison in our day, it's nothing like it was in that day. When he says, I'm in chains, you know what that means? He was chained 24 hours a day to Roman guards. That's uncomfortable. That's awkward, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And, and these guards would be chained to these prisoners in shifts. <laughs> Boy, I wonder. Somebody must have been praying for the guard that had Paul's shift, because he ends up getting saved. We actually talked about this a little bit in the prophecy update. You know, pastors today are being arrested and put in prison. And again, I, I think it's probably worthy of noting and repeating again today, but it is so important because Paul says it a second time here in our text. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ, not a prisoner of Rome. Paul knows that he's there not because of who's in office politically. He knows he's there because of who is on the throne sovereignly. And that changes everything. He's there because Jesus Christ allowed him to be there, because 
Jesus Christ wants Paul to win people to him while there. And oh, in his spare time, write like four letters <laughs> that we affectionately refer to as the prison epistles. But he selflessly, in his meekness and humility, is willing to let go of his own rights. He had every right to keep Onesimus with him. He also had every right to demand and order that Philemon restore him as a brother, not as a slave. We're going to see that later in the letter. I want to spend the remainder of our time on this third one in verse 14, and I think you'll see why here in a moment. I really don't know if it's possible to overstate the importance of what Paul does here. He's submitting himself to Philemon. This is huge. This is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. I'm not going to submit to you. You submit to me. Hey, and he even mentions it, not in the way we would think, but uh, Philemon, don't forget, I'm the one that led you to Christ. You owe your salvation to me, sharing the gospel with you. How about that? So I have every right to tell you what to do, and you have to do it on that basis. I know this is a, uh, a hard one to grasp, because we live in a day and age where there is no respect for authority. Not in that day. When Paul writes to him and says to him, I do have this authority, Philemon knew exactly what he was saying. You do, Paul. And you're right, Paul. And all you would have to do is say the word, and I would have to do it, because that's how they respected authority in that day. You go to the Middle East today, it's the same. In my Arab culture in the Middle East, whew, you know, I'm just thinking about parents. You know, don't, don't we say this to our kids? I could have never talked to my mom and dad like that. I wouldn't be around to tell about it. <laughs> and you wouldn't be born either. So happy Mother's Day. <laughs> In the Middle Eastern culture to this day, by the way, when the elder, the father, walks into the room, everybody rises as a show of respect. And they don't sit until he sits. And get this, it, it, I, this was growing up, uh, you know, the cultural dynamics were just so polar opposite of what all my friends grew up under in America. When the elder, the one in authority, the patriarch, if you will, and the matriarch for that matter, but the patriarch particularly, when he walked into the room, 
and you were sitting in the most comfortable seat or the highest seat, as it were, you, you gave that seat to them. If you, if you didn't stand up, you'll stand. <laughs> Believe me, you'll stand. You won't be around very long. You'll be out of there. But uh, you offer them your seat as a sign of respect. There's a submitting to authority. Now stay with me, because I'm going somewhere with this. Paul is submitting himself and the final decision to Philemon. I could order you to do this. I'm not going to do that. It's your decision. And I want your decision to be done of your own volition. I would suggest that submitting one to another in this way is the best way that we can resolve conflicts. Can we talk about marriage? What are you going to say? No. <laughs> We're going to talk about marriage, just real quick. Maybe not real quick. Can I draw your attention to Ephesians 5 and verse 21? Uh, this is probably, I would argue, one of the most skipped over verses in all of the Bible. And this is due in large part to the verse that comes after it. Don't read verse 22, just 21. Stop right there. You already know what 22 is. You don't have to read it. Wives, submit to your husbands. Woman. That's a very loose paraphrase. That's verse 22. I know this will be deeply profound, but what comes before 22? 21. I know, right? Deeply profound. So in other words, before verse 22, you have verse 21. We would do well to know what he says first in verse 21. Would you agree? What does he say? Submit to one another. <laughs> Wait, um, with all due respect, Pastor, I'm the man of the house. Oh, really? Yeah. I wear the pants in my family. I'm the head of my home. Wow. How's that working out for you? Now please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about abdicating our God-given authority as the heads of our homes, men. But you know what our problem is? When it comes to the things that we want to be the authority in, we're right there. But what about taking the lead when it means taking the higher road? See, <laughs> we're really quick to exercise our God-given authority. 
right? We're going to take the lead. I'm the spiritual leader in my home. Okay, great. Why don't you take the lead and submit? Why don't you be the first one in the lead to submit? Here's an example. I, this of course is theoretical for me, because as the pastor I have a perfect marriage. So <laughs> this is theo theoretical, hypothetical, right? So let's say you have a husband and wife, and um, they're having a conflict slash argument, or as one pastor called it for a pastor and his wife, it's called intense fellowship. I mean, you're going at it back and forth. Me, what about you? That's the pot calling the kettle black. I mean, you know all of them, right? And, and there's actually two words that you will find very prominent, very pronounced in these intense moments of fellowship as husband and wife. You know what those two words are? They're trigger words. Be careful when you use them. Always and never. Oh my goodness. You always. Blah, 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 blah. You never. Blah, 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 blah. Again, I'm talking hypothetically. This is not for me. I have a perfect marriage. So you're standing your ground, and so is she. And the more she digs her heels in, the more you dig your slippers in. <laughs> and then it just escalates until someone takes the lead out of reverence for Christ, says, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right. I'm wrong. And then sometimes you start fighting the other way. Wait, you can't do that. No, I'm sorry first. No. And you start fighting again about who's more repentant and who's more submissive, who's more selfless. Is it not true that when that happens, it just diffuses the whole situation? Now we can talk. Now we can talk. A soft answer turns away wrath. It's a humbling of oneself. It's a submitting of oneself to the other, and saying, you know, here I am in my smugness, defending myself, attacking you, and then you're defending yourself and attacking me, and it just makes it worse. What are we doing? I'll tell you what you're doing. 
you're giving a foothold to the devil. And that's why Paul exhorts us by the Holy Spirit to not let the sun go down on your anger. You know, my wife and I early on in our um, perfect marriage <laughs> um, made a decision. It's probably one of the best decisions we ever made in our marriage. I always know I've made a good decision when my only regret is that I didn't do it sooner. But we just resolved to never discuss weighty issues at night when we're tired. Because <laughs> we don't have the bandwidth, nor do we have the grace nor do we have the mercy. His mercies are new every morning. Isn't it interesting what a good night's sleep can do? So you just agree to, hey, we're going to revisit this in the morning. Let's just come together, not give the devil a foothold, so we can at least try to get a good night's sleep. And then you wake up in the morning, and His mercies are new every morning. And sometimes it's kind of like, wait, what were we arguing about last night? Ah, it doesn't matter now. Oh, interesting. Reminds me of a humorous story I heard once about this husband boasting. You know, we never go to bed angry. You never go to bed angry? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's like two o'clock in the morning. But sure enough, my wife will come crawling on her hands and knees, and she'll say to me, come out from underneath that bed, you coward, and fight like a man. Husbands, let's talk for just a moment. Wives, don't don't make it worse than it already is, okay? I just want to humbly offer a suggestion. When, not if, you're in a situation where you're going back and forth like that, why don't you just try this? Just say, you know what, honey? you're right, I'm wrong. Because you are wrong, and she is right. Wait a minute, come on, you wimp of a man. What are you talking about? Oh, uh, what about what she did wrong? No, 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 no. It's not about what she did wrong. It's not have I been wronged? It's have I wronged. And here's what happens, and what should happen. When you submit yourself, humble yourself, and you do that, the way God has made our wives husbands, we're still talking to Wives, just wait. Your turn's next, too. I, was, I know it's Mother's Day, but we're, we're coming to you in a moment. <laughs> Don't look at your watches. We still have time, so. But when you do that, God has made and wired our wives, if I can say it like that, to just melt. 
because of that. Because that's loving. And we're to love them as Christ loves the church and gave Himself, submitted Himself for and to. They, it's irresistible for them, because that's the way God's made, God has made them. All right, you guys okay? I'm not. <laughs> Let's talk about the wife just briefly. Wives, I, I, I wish there were a way to say this in a way that you understand, but as your husbands, we don't get it. That's why we give you that look. We really don't get it. And, and here's the other problem. Just so you know, we cannot read your minds. So there has to be this thing they call communication. And very different for your husband, because you really need to spell it out. But here's the thing. When you spell it out, don't nag them. It is not in your best interest to do that. You know, in our study through the book of Proverbs, I actually never saw this until we went verse by verse through Proverbs, one of my favorite books in the Bible, by the way. But you know that proverb, it says that, you know, it is better to eat a crumb of bread on your roof than it is to eat, you know, prime rib, medium rare, in your house with a contentious woman. Right? So I, I love prime rib, but it's more better eat a crumb of bread on the roof. <laughs> it's a second here now. So it starts off with that one. Then the next time you see that proverb, it, he's no longer on the roof eating a crumb of bread. He's like out in the wilderness. It is better to be out in the jungle with all the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, than it is to be in the house with a contentious woman. And then of course there's the one about, you know, the contentious woman is like that leaking faucet. Drip, drip, drip. Drives you out of your mind and out of your house too, <laughs> all the way into the wilderness. Don't be contentious. You're not getting through to them. That's just the way we are. We don't hear anything. Once you hit a certain octave, a certain key, I mean, we don't hear anything. It's lights out, game over. I mean, all we're hearing is yelling. You never, you always, blah, 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 blah. that's all we hear. So if as the husband, we're truly the leader and take the lead in being the first to submit, then they 
we'll submit, and then now we can talk. And we can solve this problem. And here's another novel idea. Why don't you pray? I know, right? It's like the wife who says to her husband, honey, we need to pray. To which the husband responds, is it that bad? Why is prayer always the last resort? Now, that's not to say that there may need to be a cooling off period where you just kind of get along with the Lord first. Because, you know, if you say, hey, let's, let's pray. I don't want to pray with you right now. Okay. I love you, but I don't like you right now. That's fine. So just go to the Lord. I'll go to the Lord. And then after we've both gone to the Lord, then we'll, we'll come back together. I assure you, when you come back together, after you went to the Lord, <laughs> it's going to be like, what'd you do with my wife? What did you do with my, where did my husband go? Who are you? Oh, I, I was with Jesus. Oh, really? What did He tell you? No, you go first. What did He tell you? <laughs> it's a submitting of oneself out of reverence for Christ. I tell you, you know, you bring these three together, I, I called them ingredients in this recipe for success. But you take meekness and selflessness and submissiveness. How are you going to argue with that? It, 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 right? It takes two to fight. What's that saying? It takes two to tango? If, if one is meek, selfless, and submitted, what are you going to do? You're going to, oh, I know what you do, because I do it too. You try to stir it up. Come on, let's do this. We're doing this. No, I'm not doing this. Come on, let's do it. No, I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. I submit. I need to make it right. Yeah, but you're the man of the house. I know. Yeah, but you have the God-given authority. I know. But think about it like this. Like with Paul, can you imagine if he would have exercised and insisted on his God-given authority to make Philemon do what he wanted him to do, instead of doing it like this? It's, it's like, you know, when you're telling a child, sit down. And they're there like, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You want it like that? You want it like that? Oh, I'll get my wife to submit. You want it like that? Oh, is that how it is? 
So they're not doing it out of love, but by force. How's that working out for you? See, this is what Paul was doing here. And this is why Paul was doing what he was doing here. Philemon, and you've got to know that he loved this brother so much. And the feelings were mutual, by the way. Philemon with Paul. And now Onesimus is in the picture. And I'm sure that there was some resentment and bitterness and anger on the part of Philemon towards Onesimus. But this is kind of a game changer because <laughs> Paul leads him to Christ. You know, if I'm Philemon, I'm like, really, he got saved? Now I've got to forgive him. <laughs> got to reconcile with him. There's something in our flesh, you know, in our flesh, Paul said, there, I know there dwells no good thing. One translation, really more of a paraphrase, renders it, in my flesh it is rotten through and through. In my flesh there dwells no good. There's something about our flesh that thrives on the adrenaline and the anger and the pride. It feeds and it grows. But when you submit out of meekness and selflessness, you introduce the Holy Spirit into the equation. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. So Philemon's going to do this, not because Paul ordered him to, but he's going to do this because of his love for Jesus and his love for Paul. And can you imagine? I would have loved to have been there to see this reconciliation. I'm sure tears were shed. Can you imagine how this would have blessed the Apostle Paul? Is that not how we want it to be? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. It doesn't force, doesn't override, doesn't overrule, doesn't demand, command. No. And truth be made known, lastly in closing, when it really comes down to it, you want that person responding in kind. Because even if you were to do it the other way and force them into this doing what you want them to do, the fruit of it is going to be bitter. And this is why the writer of Hebrews says, let no root of bitterness take hold, because it will eat your lunch. It will defile you. It will destroy you. Once you let just a little bit of resentment start to germinate and sprout, it is a bitter fruit. Ah, I got to share this. This is the Holy Spirit. Just bear with me. This is the last thing. Okay. There was a guy by the name of Ahithophel. This was David's right-hand man. And it, 
we're told that when he spoke, it was the oracles of God. It was like he was speaking the word of God from, from God himself. He was David's most trusted advisor, Ahithophel. So you all know about what happened with David. He commits adultery with Bathsheba has her husband Uriah murdered by putting him on the front lines, has his military commander Joash basically murder him to try to cover up the pregnancy. Um, he thinks he gets away with it. About a year goes by, and then of course the prophet Nathan, really a type of the Holy Spirit, confronts David, and then he just, you are the man and he repents. And God forgives him and puts away from him that sin. And you know what's really interesting about David? He never did that again. It was a true godly sorrow that led to a genuine repentance. He never did that again the rest of his life. But he surely suffered the consequences of that for the rest of his life. So his son Absalom rises up against him. Can you imagine this? Your own son, whom you love so much, wants to kill you? That was Absalom. And who's there at Absalom's side to help him kill King David? Ahithophel. What? I thought he was David's most trusted advisor. Yeah. But here's what happened. This uh, Bathsheba, as it turns out, this was Ahithophel's granddaughter. And he held in his heart this resentment, this anger, and this bitterness. And he waited by the phone for a call that would come from Absalom. And as soon as Absalom called him and told him his plan, he's right there. And you know how it ends for him? It doesn't end well. He ends up taking his own life, Ahithophel. That's the end of bitterness. Don't let it germinate. Uproot it. Uproot it. If you don't, it will destroy your life, your life, if you harbor it. It is not just dangerous. It is deadly. It is deadly. Okay, this will be the last, last thing. Surrendering selflessly in meekness is freeing. It's like, oh, why didn't I do this sooner? And the reason for that is because the Holy Spirit is right there, just like, this is the way walking in it. This is good between me and the Holy Spirit. Now watch what I'm going to do. Watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a miracle. I'm going to do a restoration in your relationship, in this situation, if you'll just let me. I, I will do things that if I were to tell you, you would not even believe. Just let me. 
but we tie the hands of God's blessing with the ropes of our obstinance and stubbornness and arrogance. And we do so to our own peril. Submit. Take the higher road, the lower seat. In Jesus' name. Why don't you stand? We'll pray. Loving Heavenly Father, I know it's kind of a hard word, but a good word, much needed in our lives. Oh, that we would be like You, Jesus. Oh, that we would know humility and meekness, submissiveness, selflessness. Lord, as we now end this service and go our separate ways, I pray that we'll take away with us into the rest of our day and into our week that which you've spoke into our lives today concerning this matter. And make it real. Make it work as only you can, so that we don't just leave this here and, oh, that was a good word and convicting, and, and then we just walk away from it and go about our way with no effect. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have unfettered access to that deep recess in our hearts. Lord, thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen.